This is Neil Erwitz. I'm here today with Patrick Cronin and Anthony Cho of our Asia Pacific Security Program. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So they have written a new report called Averting Disengagement, a Geoeconomic Strategy for the Trump Administration in Southeast Asia, which is part of the Derwin Pereira Southeast Asian Foreign Policy Roundtable series. Uh, the report, broadly speaking, is on how the Trump administration can make sure we don't take our eye off the ball in Southeast Asia. Patrick, can you tell us a little bit about why that's so important? Well, Neil, in Asia, where trade is strategy, there is a vacuum of power because the United States under the Trump administration has withdrawn from the signature economic and trade policy of the last administration, namely the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP. That in itself is fine, provided that the administration now replaces it with an effective economic trade in what we would call a geoeconomic strategy. There was always going to be that requirement anyhow, even uh, no matter who was elected president. But it's very important now that we've taken a clear decision to walk away from TPP, but we haven't yet replaced it. That's in contrast to the security strategy of the Trump administration. Within the first 100 days, the Trump administration has put in place a number of highly respected professionals like Secretary Mattis and H.R. McMaster and others, and they've shown at Vice President Pence's trip out to Asia this month very strong security credentials. But Vice President Pence in Japan this very week said TPP is dead, and he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that. Again, that's fine. In case they but, didn't pick it up the first six times. <laughs> but people want to know, especially as China is about to host in May a One Belt, One Road uh, summit of leaders across the region, and it's essentially trying to influence the region, they want to know what the United States is going to be doing in terms of business, trade, and commerce. And this is why we've written this report to say, look, let's move and craft a new geoeconomic strategy because there's a huge opportunity and there's a huge appetite for American leadership still in this region. Let me open this to both of you then. What does that TPP replacement, for want of a better uh, term, what does that look like? What is that? Well, it seems like the Trump administration is prioritizing more flexible bilateral agreements. What we've taken in this piece of work is we're trying to look at where there are feasible opportunities for these bilateral agreements. You've seen uh, just today Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross saying that he's very much interested in pursuing a free trade agreement with Japan. And obviously, Vice President Mike Pence's tour has touched on trade, and it's no, it shouldn't come to a surprise that he's going to Indonesia as well. So pursuing these flexible bilateral agreements and seeing where there are U.S. Um, advantages, where we can uh, focus on U.S. strengths like uh, liquid natural gas, but also uh, opening up those markets in Southeast Asia, which are going to have a great demand. It's going to be over 630 million people um, to U.S. goods and promoting the U.S. jobs by making sure that our exports can get there in a fair way. You know, we're, de we're dealing with 600 million people in the 10 Southeast Asian countries that are collectively part of this ASEAN organization. They have about a $3 trillion GDP, and that's growing. So it's roughly half the population of China. It's a little less than half of the GDP of China. But over time, in the future decades, this is going to be an increasingly important part of the global economy. So it's very important for the United States to engage in terms of business, in terms of human, people-to-people -people sort of connections. Uh, apart from the government policies, and then at the same time to get into the larger markets in Southeast Asia that TPP didn't even include, Indonesia, 
um, dealing with the Philippines, um, as well as to deal with Thailand, uh, not just Vietnam and Malaysia, which were part of the TPP vision. So all of these are larger economies, along with Myanmar, that really will add up in the coming decades to a very substantial part of the economy. So we need to have fair, open trade with these countries if possible. Now, uh Open trade agreements are notoriously difficult to negotiate. TPP was in the works for, what, seven, eight years. Um, is it realistic to expect a series of bilaterals as a replacement, or is this going to be a very long process? Well, I think there's both a short-term quick wins approach to find investments that can happen now, so think of sectoral investment agreements that could happen in the, in the next year or two, and then try to pursue long-term bilateral trade agreements that could end up being part of a more multilateral form in the future, but you don't have to make that decision at this point. Let's go for what is possible. And you're supplementing this economic side with not just the trade, but Anthony mentioned energy security, which can be a big part of American mm -hmm. exports to this region, but also looking at the security, especially in the maritime domain where Maritime security in Asia, from fisheries to information, is part of the economy. It's not just part of national security, and yet it's both national security and economic security. So there are huge opportunities for us to move from what the Obama administration had pegged as a maritime security initiative to work with littoral countries around the South China Sea. We can now move toward a larger Indo-Pacific, even uh, Asian reassurance initiative, where we're really working with the country's coast guards and law enforcement to reinforce the security infrastructure to allow greater economic investment and in trade. One example I would like to point out is uh, the country of Vietnam, which was a TPP member state. So having negotiated TPP with Vietnam and the US as partners, you have something to build off of. You're not starting from scratch. And moreover, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia have a willingness to engage with the US in trade. Um, this isn't just the U.S. trying to pursue a unilateral agreement, but capitalizing on the will there, not only for integration, but also for deepening ties with the U.S. Let me ask one last question. The ASEAN summit is coming up. I'd imagine with the uh, end of TPP, that could be an awkward summit. What should we look for coming out of that? Well, our ally, the Philippines, is in the chair throughout 2017 of the ASEAN process. And there's going to be a series of meetings, not just one meeting, including where we'll expect Secretary of State Tillerson to go. And hopefully President Trump in the fall will go to the Philippines and attend the East Asia Summit and other ASEAN-centered meetings. We're looking for the United States to show up with ideas, to show not just political and diplomatic commitment, but to show that we are keeping our own market open, that we are in search of fair trade deals that don't privilege things like the Chinese state-owned enterprises that respect intellectual property rights, but at the same time open up new trade opportunities for Southeast Asian countries. And we're there as well with our, our softer security support in terms of maritime security writ large. Um, that'll be in contrast to the Chinese talking about a non-binding code of conduct mm -hmm. that will sound good but will be still meaningless. It'll be in contrast to the Chinese talking about their one belt, one road infrastructure integration, including an information silk road that repels as many as it attracts in the region because they're very much afraid of how the Chinese will use their dominance. So the United States will simply be a good, effective counterweight and put in place the diplomacy that can lead to these sort of short-term investment deals, long-term bilateral trade deals, 
and throughout the whole entire process, stronger security networking. Anthony, anything to add? Uh, I would like to mention that in terms of the security networking, one thing that is undoubtedly going to pop up is uh, counterterrorism. Um, as you know, uh, the Philippines has been recently dealing with a spate of terrorist attacks. Um, there are also 22 groups in Indonesia that have pledged their allegiance to ISIS. And ISIS is at the forefront of the Trump administration's uh, foreign policy and security mm -hmm. agenda. So we should look for some sort of agreement among the ASEAN countries to share intelligence, um, to work together to make sure that terrorism doesn't spread out throughout the network. And I just want to emphasize Anthony's point on this. Counterterrorism cooperation is a logical area for growing security cooperation with Southeast Asian countries. We are have to be very sensitive when we think about closing our borders to certain Muslim-majority countries and how that plays in countries like Indonesia. Yeah. And so it's very important for the United States also get the right message right about our, how we protect our own borders we have to protect our borders, but at the same time, others are listening, including in Southeast Asia. And you want to do it with a scalpel, not a hammer and a sword, I guess. Precisely. You want to make sure they understand that we want, of course, the rule of law, but we also want to make sure that we have the free flow of people, that we can cooperate together. Patrick, Anthony, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you.